0: Well, hopefully you have met my family, and if you haven't, go back and listen to the episode called Meet My Family. And so my plan was to continue to talk about families in the Bible, and it still is, but it has been changed a little bit. I'm modifying it a little bit because today I just want to talk about families and particularly the moms of the family. So last week my mom was on daily hospice. She had Louis body's dementia and her time was coming. And so it it had been a long two weeks at this that point and last week it was a long week for sure. But she went to heaven on a Sunday because I'm pretty sure there's nothing better than church with the, with Jesus Christ live and in person. And so, um, so yeah, I'm feeling um, both joyful that my mom lives with Jesus and heartbroken that she does not live on earth. And so here's to moms. Let's start at the beginning. The first woman, Eve, and in Genesis 3.20, it says, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become mother of all the living. And I don't know that we can judge Eve as a good mom or a bad mom, she had three children I believe um, that are that were told about and Cain and Abel well Abel was good Cain made some bad choices not sure if that's Eve's fault and so um, but the interesting thing is God when he was... Holding Adam and Eve accountable for their sins, he said. He says to the snake first, "Cursed are you above the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust, and you will all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head." And you will strike his heel, and then he turns and looks to Eve. After his, he has basically told Eve that um, her out of her offspring would be one that would be victorious over Satan. She says, "I will greatly." He says, "I will greatly increase your pains in child bearing. With pain, you will give birth to children." Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And so, there it goes. I think when Eve probably had that first child, she probably thought, "Score! This kid's gonna rule the world and take over Satan." Well, it didn't quite work that way, but um, but we do owe Eve an awful lot for paving the way for motherhood and women and giving us an an example to follow. And so from there, next is Sarah. And you all probably know of Father Abraham. Um, There probably should be a song called Mother Sarah, But Father Abraham had many sons, and the interesting part is he got help. He got help from Sarah because Sarah, like many of us, don't always trust the will of God as much as we say we will. In fact, I've been kind of in a fight with God for the last three weeks because when my mom was diagnosed as actively dying, like that was acceptable and I knew that God had a plan and a purpose for her and I knew that she was ready for heaven and she would be restored of her Louis body's dementia and you know not being able to walk and have the quality of life and have conversation and just all that kind of stuff but when it was taking so long And my poor mama was just on her bed, just having such a hard time and not suffering, not suffering at all because nurses and, you know, the staff did an amazing job to keep my mom comfortable and all of that. No, I was suffering. I was suffering. I was the one that was inconvenienced. How rude is that? But I was frustrated and I was, wondering where is God in all of this, but I knew where he was. So my faith wasn't rocked and I wasn't not believing. I just, it wasn't going my way. How horrible does that sound? I know I'm absolutely confessing this on my podcast for a world to hear. Thank goodness only about six of you listen, but I was so, so frustrated with God and I would tell him on a daily basis and I would also ask forgiveness on a daily basis. But I giggle because I'm not the only one. Doesn't make it right. Not saying that. I'm just saying, go all the way back to Eve and to, to Sarah. And it's incredible how sometimes women and moms take things and matters into their own hands. So Sarah does just that. She sort of takes matters into her own hands when she is what she thinks is barren and tells um, Abraham to take his maidservant, Hagar. Actually, at that point, it was Sarai and Abram. God ends up changing their names to Sarah and Abraham. So he has not fulfilled his promise yet and so Sarai is thinking hey I want kids I want them now you know that whole I've been inconvenienced um you know what do I need to do and making it all about her as I sometimes make it all about me so um yeah he lets her sleep with her maidservant and they have a son Ishmael and you can probably imagine that doesn't go so good. So later, God does bless her with a son. But in the world of families and talking about families, like here's a family in the Bible that is already a messed up family. And God just uses those circumstances in our lives. And when we, you know, I think sometimes everybody looks at everyone else's family as perfect, but you know, here's Abraham and Sarah who are highly exalted in the Bible as people of faith and their lives weren't perfect. Just goes to show, right? It's always easy to look at what you want people to see and, as, and sometimes that's the problem with teaching Sunday school. We teach all the super positive parts of it, um, which is good. Don't get me wrong. You got to start with all the good. But sometimes you then get a um, mixed up perception of who these people in the Bible are. They're regular human beings. There was halfs. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any kind of steps but that's a little bit different. I don't know. We'll figure it out at some point, but here's a half brother for sure. Right? So let me get back to you right after this break. Welcome back. So Isaac is Sarah's son with Abraham and Isaac would go on to marry Rebecca. And I love that story because it's totally answered prayer and totally love at first sight. You can read about that in Genesis 27, starting at verse 5. So, Rebecca would then go on to have twins. And God actually tells her that the younger will rule over the older, He didn't, however, tell her to take matters into her own hands, which she does. And so sometimes, sometimes moms are like that. I'm trying to think if I can think of any time that my mom took matters into her own hands. And I can't really think of a time, although in December of 2020, hospice said that she was showing signs of end of life and we were able to go in and see her and every day she improved on a daily basis. And I kind of was like, mom, score. Thanks for getting us in, um, during a pandemic. And then we got kicked out. And so maybe she took matters into her own hands that time, but I digress. Rebecca really did. Jacob And Esau were twins. And so here's our first set of twins that certainly add to family dynamics. There's twins in my family. Um, Mary Jo and Mark are twins. And I'm trying to think if there's other twins. I can't think of any others. Those are the ones I'm related to. Anyways, so when the babies were being born... Jacob actually grabbed Esau's heel as some sort of indication that he would rule over the older. The older would serve the younger. And from Jacob, you can probably remember that is where the 12 tribes of Israel would come. And so where it gets sneaky is Rebekah knew that the birthright would go to Esau. So when it was time to sort of deliver that birthright, you know, verbally and promise it, she tricks Esau while he's out hunting and has Jacob fake like he's Esau and get the blessing from the dad, Isaac. And then Jacob has to run away, and Esau's going to kill him, and that sort of family dynamics, too. Sometimes siblings don't get along. Sometimes it even is real ugly, as in Esau did want to kill Jacob and was angry forever, and Jacob really did have to run away and get away from it all, but you know, What does that solve and why it makes the birthright not even worth anything? So just a totally bad situation all the way around. And then it gets worse because when um, Jacob runs away, he runs away to, uh, um, you know, another sort of another member of their family that would um, is a fellow Israelite. Laban, and he has daughters, and Jacob falls in love with Rachel, and Laban makes him do all this crazy work. Um, I believe it's for seven years, and then on the wedding night, he actually sneaks Leah in instead of Rachel, and then tries to be like, yeah, you can't, I couldn't do that. You know, Leah's the firstborn, and that's how it works, and so Then he has to work seven more years to get Rachel. Again, here's another circumstance where that's probably the reason why God wants us to only have one spouse is because more than than one spouse, more than one lover always causes problems. And so when Rachel... When Leah realizes that Jacob loves Rachel more than her, God looks upon Leah with favor and starts, Leah starts having babies. So she starts having babies. Rachel is sad about it. So Rachel offers Jacob Billa, who's her maidservant, in hopes that he will have babies with her and then you know, those will be her babies. But you think that's going to work? Probably not. But Billa has two. And then Leah is sad because she thinks that she's not going to have any more babies. She's already had four sons. And now Billa has two sons. So Leah gives her maidservant, Zilpa to Jacob. And he, she has two sons. And Rachel's real sad. And then Rachel does finally get pregnant with Joseph and then dies while delivering Benjamin. And so there are the 12 tribes of Israel. And and throughout the whole Bible, of course, they call them brothers, right? But technically, they are all like half-brothers because... They all share the same father, but you know, half of them don't have the same mother. So again, a crazy family situation, and we all know where that family dynamic goes. Um, And if you don't watch Donny Osmond as Joseph in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dream Coat, he's so good. Yeah, I'm a Donny Osmond fan. I'm just saying. But brothers are mean to Joseph, and God uses it for good anyways. So, again, a mother, mothers, I should say, that (laughs) took things in their own hands. And because of that, family dynamics are changed. And, you know, it's the way we learn, and God uses it for good anyways. We know that Joseph ends up in Egypt and ends up feeding Israelites and helping them through a famine, along with the Egyptians as well. And so his family comes to Egypt and then the Israelites started to increase and a new Pharaoh comes along and pretty threatened by the israelites and wants to start killing them he wants to start killing babies when they're born and he wants to start um and and when when the people didn't follow his orders then he calls for a law of mass murdering bab- babies I'm just stuttering because I was going to say sons, but it was male babies that were two and under. And so enter baby Moses and his mom's name is not identified in the Bible, but she has this baby and she knows that he is a blessing and that he is a gift from God. And so she, knows that if she keeps them him, he will end up getting killed. And so she wraps him up and puts him in a little basket and sends him down the river. Well, little does she know that his big sister, Marian, Miriam, not Marion, although one of my favorite humans in the world is named Marion, and she is on my mind because she's also a mother who lives in heaven and was a neighbor of ours, who I'm sure is reunited with my mom. Again, real, <laughs> real digression here. So Miriam follows his, her little baby brother down the river, and when Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby, she says, we need to get an Israelite to feed this baby. And so the little girl said, I will go get someone. And she gets Moses' mom. So Moses' mom gets to actually be his wet nurse, only it's actually his mom, and see Moses grow up again a mom taking matters into her own hands. And I also think it's kind of interesting because this would definitely be similar to maybe adoption or foster care because Pharaoh's daughter would take in Moses and raise him. And then he finds out who he is and must lead his nation of the Israelite people out of Egypt. And so, of course, you know the rest of the story there. But again, it's just when when we think that our families are messed up and, you know, we think of Sunday school stories and everybody's life is so perfect, and it's not. I mean, the Bible is full of just messed up families. And so Moses has really more like a step-brother or a foster brother than an actual brother in Pharaoh, who is the Pharaoh's son. And so he could have been a Pharaoh because they raised him as their own, but he finds out he's an Israelite. So I love the fact that We can make so many connections about families through the Bible. The next story that I want to share is a story of a mother-in-law and also a story of a foreigner. Because Naomi was an Israelite and her two sons married Moabite women. And unfortunately, her husband dies, and then both of her sons die. How tragic is that? And so she's so sad, and she is going to go back to where she came from, and she tells her two daughter-in-laws to go back to where their families are to Because she's not going to ever be able to have another son. And even if she did, you know, they would be too old to get married to it by the time the son was ready to be married. So she said, just go back to your families. So Ruth and Orpah are at a crossroads here. Orpah, fun fact about that, is that that's where Oprah Winfrey got her name. I think there's different stories behind it, but I heard that either the mom or the hospital or somebody responsible for the birth certificate spelled it wrong and spelled it Oprah instead of Orpa. I still wonder why they wanted to use that name instead of Ruth. Because... Orpah says, yep, you're right. I'm going back to my family. And don't get me wrong. I get it. Like, you know, your husband's dead. Are you going to travel to a foreign country with your mother-in-law? Or are you going to go back to your own family? That'd be a tough decision because I got a real good mother-in-law is all I'm saying. And Irene, if you're listening, I'm not saying this to butter you up. You know I love you. But it's true. And I love you so much that... This is the verse that I think of when I think of my mother-in-law because, fun fact about me, I was, in fact, married before I married my husband now and got divorced, and so my husband adopted my two children, and sometimes, in fact, most of the time, I forget that I was ever married to somebody else because I love my husband so much. And I married into this amazing family, like beautiful humans that I love so much. My father-in-law also lives in heaven. Heartbreak when he died. He was my biggest fan and I loved him so much. And he taught me all about that family is family and it doesn't matter if they're steps or they're halves. And I, not because he came right out and said that, but because he lived it. He had a father who died when he was young and his mother got remarried. So he ended up with half um, brothers and sisters and never spoke of that, always called them brothers and sisters. And there was, I think, some step cousins and things like that, and you just never knew. And when my children joined their family, Irene and Harv would always treat my children as if they were blood-related children, um, even before my husband adopted them. So, so lucky to have an extended family. And the super interesting thing is I have one sister, as you know, from my meet my family episode, and I have four brothers. My husband is the only brother and he has three sisters. So I married into a family and gained three sisters and they are fabulous Each one brings something different to the table, and I love each and every one. And they are all so much like their dad in terms of how supportive they are of me and encouraging and just family first, God first, really, but family as a core part of who you are. And I love that. So Orpah goes ahead and goes back to her family, but Ruth is like, no way. She's like, I'm not doing it. Naomi is like begging her and she's like, your sister-in-law's doing it. You should. But Ruth replies, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. What I started to say is, before I met my husband, I went to the same church as his parents. And so how cool is that? So needless to say, when he brought me home to meet his parents, I was already kind of in, because they're like... knew I know you from church. So good, good people. And I love the story of Naomi and Ruth. Naomi's pretty sad because she's dealing with a lot of loss and grief really does suck. And I totally get that. So she's down and out, but she knows that if she goes home to, you know, her people that, there are, that family would take care of family. And they would have a redeemer kinsman. So it's some sort of distant relation that will take care of, you know, widows. And would, rem- would marry Ruth and take care of their family. And that, in turn, would take care of Naomi. And so enter Boaz... As the Redeemer Kinsman. And everyone wonders a lot about the book of Ruth. But at the end of the day, it's real similar to Jesus being our Redeemer. And saving us and taking care of us. And so, great story. And um, from the line of Ruth, eventually... Um, comes Jesus, and that's an amazing um, lineage family tree to have. I am sure you're seeing a pattern here in terms of moms and families, they just really are all different. And each one of those stories, I'm just giving you the framework. Of who the mom is and what the family was about and not even telling you, I shouldn't say what the family was about, but, you know, the components of the family, you know, just the the core of, you know, how they looked on the outside. I haven't even really told you the super stories of them. Uh, Some of them you may know, some of them that you don't. So, That's the beauty of reading your Bible is you get to see these stories. And and honestly, the first time I ever really did read the Bible on my own, I was like, you got to be kidding. Jacob's sons were from four different women. Like that's just messed up. And, you know, I mean, even Abraham and Sarah and... All that goes with that and the family dynamic in there because Abraham also has, I believe it's an uncle and now darn it, I'm going to have to look, but Lot, maybe it's his cousin. Anyways, just an extended family. And I'll tell you, I'm so lucky in my life to have extended family that is super amazing in terms of cousins and aunts and uncles, and I'm blessed. I am so blessed. I love my cousins as much as my siblings in some cases. In all of the cases, they are all family, and I love them dearly. But it's just true. And then, like I said, who the family you marry into and how that becomes your true family, and I love that so much and we don't talk about steps or halves or any of that in my family either because family is family and I'm, I'm so blessed and yet my family is not perfect either. You know, I'm certainly not going to talk about all the frustrating arguments and fights and, stressful situations that have happened in my family, that would be awful. Nobody wants to hear that, but I'd be a big fat liar if I didn't say that there wasn't issues amongst us. Our good news is that we did learn how to forgive because we had forgiving parents and because we have a forgiving Heavenly Father as well. So I would always... Recommend when you can work it out amongst your family, it's worth it to do. God offers us grace and mercy all the time, and we are adopted members into the family of Christ, unless you are born of a Jewish descent, which you know probably has some sort of lineage back to Christ, but otherwise, we are adopted into the family of God. And so God doesn't treat us as seconds or halves or steps in any way, shape, or form. So my last family I want to talk about, and last mom I want to talk about, is of course the mother of all mothers, the Mother Mary. And let's be honest, her life didn't start off on this perfect picture of anything and we talk about the Immaculate Conception and again in Sunday school, you know, Mary the angel told Mary she was going to have a baby, right? Well for all they know, that's how babies are made. They don't they didn't get the dynamics of what was going to happen. Mary legit could have lost her life for being pregnant without technically being married to Joseph. She was engaged to joseph and that promise was strong and so no doubt what joseph thought when she said i'm pregnant and i'm sure when she tried to say that it was an angel who told her she was pregnant with the future messiah (laughs) i'm sure he, he i don't even know what he thought But I do think he loved Mary and he definitely knew that there was going to be all kinds of disgrace and drama. And so he thinks he's just going to quietly divorce her. And maybe he's going to do that because he does love her. Maybe he's going to do that because he doesn't want to be embarrassed, but he's thinking about quietly divorcing her. And it takes an angel to tell him that Mary's telling the truth. And so now he knows. And you don't hear much coming from Father Joseph. And I guess that would be more like Stepfather Joseph. But of course, the Bible doesn't point that out either, which again, should then tell us that in step situations, half situations, foster situations, um, close knit family situations or close knit friend situations, like family is family. And that's how, that's how we treat family as flesh and blood. And so Mary, her life as a mother would start off tainted. And even though we show the nativity and the whole nine yards and we sing silent night and, you know, round on virgin. um, Yeah, I don't, I just don't, I think it all sounds so pretty and it's not, it's messy and difficult and, everything about Jesus's birth was hard and so he grows up and of course Mary and Joseph do get married and they do go on to have children and I read that he had four brothers and it doesn't and he does have sisters it doesn't actually number them I like to think he only had um, two sisters because then it would be like my family, four brothers and two sisters. So then I can be like, oh yeah, my family and Jesus family were pretty much alike. And my mom was probably as beautiful and kind as Mary. When we would tell her that though, she'd get real offended. Like, oh my gosh, please do not speak about my Lord's mother and me in the same sentence. And we'd be like, mom, stop. So They, too, had a very interesting, messy family. Families are messy. That's all there is to it. And what is a normal family? I don't know. I hope a normal family is people who are living together in a family unit that love each other and take care of each other and support each other. What's important is God has shown us through the Bible a wide variety of families, a wide variety of moms, and how none of them are alike. None of them are perfect, but in the midst is God, and that is Just like in our midst of our families and whoever your family is and whoever you call family, God is present and you want to continue to invite Father God into your family and to be present with you. And he's there whether you invite him or not, but when we invite him, then we see his presence and we witness his goodness and it makes us better and it helps us to be better family members ponder who's in your family and think about them and if you haven't talked to somebody in a while call them up if you need to make some amends with somebody do it because it's the only family that you have and here on earth that's important and even though with the hope of Jesus Christ, we will always meet again. It hurts when we lose family members here on earth. And I know that I miss my father-in-law and I miss my dad and I miss my mom already. That one's real raw, by the way. And so enjoy who your family is. And with that, I will just say, good night, John boy.